Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Bushby and Thompson's recent adventure on postwrestling.com. And I'm Martin Bushby. And sadly, now Andrew this month, he's ultra busy as always. Well, not to worry, jumping in to save the day from the Pro Wrestling Torch, it's Mr. Rich Fan. Rich, how are you this month? I'm good. I'm good. Just chatted a little bit about Arsenal hitting fifth place. So hopefully that's not a spoiler to someone who had everything recorded until today. But we'll make it through together. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, cheers for coming on this month. Really, really appreciate it. And um, had you had a birthday this weekend, didn't you? I did, yeah. 41 years young. And uh, that was good. My mom came up from Florida to hang out and watch my son play. I want to say, let's see, two hockey games. Oh, no, three hockey games a flag football game, and then just run amok in our house. So it was all in all a success. Wow. Any chance for uh, any celebrating for you? Or was it all just uh, kids sports over the weekend? Uh, kids sports, uh, we did get on Saturday. My birthday was on Sunday. On Saturday, we did get a chance to go to um, a, uh, my brain stopped working, like a hibachi spot, which is one of my favorite places here. And so got hibachi and then kind of just had a, I'm a big fan, even at 41, I'm a big fan of ice cream cake. So mm. got some ice cream cake, one of those old Carvels. I don't know if you guys have Carvels in the, in the United no, Kingdom. Not that, no, a, I've not heard of now. Oh, it is such a, so just a little like eight inch cake. It's ice cream with like a cookie uh, as the cake base part and then more ice cream. So that's, that's always been a staple for me since like age eight. So I'm just trying to keep that going. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'll have to check it out next time in America. But yeah, if you can't treat yourself to uh, ice cream and cookies on your birthday, then when can you treat yourself to ice cream and cookies? So yeah, um, sounds sounds fantastic. But um, I mean, just before we get into the show that we're talking about uh, this month, I mean, it's almost midway point through the year in terms of wrestling, you know, we're nearly hitting June now. And I know you watch a lot of stuff. Obviously, you do a variety of shows for uh, Pro Wrestling Torch. But um, in terms of how the wrestling year has gone so far, what's been catching your eye and what's some of the stuff you've been enjoying this year? Oh, boy. I think one of the first things, Martin, that stands out to me this year is the uh, domestic adventures. I know this is uh, uh, you all's uh, epic adventure, but I think Tomohiro Ishii's adventure here in the United States mm. has been delightful all of his matches whether it was moose uh any of the stuff he just did for new japan strong uh just everywhere he's appeared here in the united states has been a treat and so his his ability to just be that guy has been just oh i've, I've loved it um in terms of other shows that took my eye I, I would definitely say um on the whole this most recent new japan strong show i thought that was a pretty good top to top to bottom uh experience mm. Uh, even with the four way, I thought, you know, I'm not a big, the biggest fan, especially in New Japan of four ways, but I think it served its purpose. Um, and then, you know, domestically here, uh, you know, obviously AEW, WWE had had some shows, but for me, I have been really uh, intrigued by a lot of what Impact has been doing with their premium events, uh, especially given their value for money, like, you know, pay a dollar and you watch it a couple of days on YouTube. I think that's a pretty, pretty, pretty fair trade. Uh, yep. But that's really been, especially in these first almost six months, the the biggest stuff that have, uh, kind of stood out to me. Uh, besides, of course, like RevPro uh, coming back and, you know, putting on some pretty solid shows themselves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've heard that a lot um, recently, and especially sort of like during lockdown and everything, the impacts are having some solid stuff. And yeah, it's definitely something I need to get back into. It's just uh, so much wrestling in it, and I'm in time to 
to to watch it all. But I suppose um onto the onto the main show because this time around we're going back six years to uh 2016. I mean, where are those six years gonna feel like they've literally flown by and uh Red Pro New Japan Global Wars 2016 night two um in what feels like probably about a hundred years ago compared to where British wrestling is now. Um seeing was so hot then, not only Red Pro, but obviously Progress regularly selling out shows, ICW up in Scotland, running arenas, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously we came to find out through speaking out, you know, that the whole scene was built on a rotten foundation. And then this was even before WE came in and signed everyone up. Um, I think the first United Kingdom Championship tournament, I think they would announce that a month after this show took place, the old uh, big press conference with William Regal and everybody. And uh, also not forgetting, it's not just Red Pro from the show New Japan. They were really hot at the time. Okada finally beating Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom 10 in January of this year. LIJ had just started out. Kenny Omega had won the G1. So it was really hot time for uh, for New Japan in 2016. And Rich, in terms of 2016, where were you at with your wrestling fandom? Were you watching much British wrestling or New Japan in 2016? Yeah, yeah. I was big in the New Japan. Uh, Rev Pro had been something that Sean Radican put on my radar as a result of their relationship with New Japan. And I had been, uh, I want to say from a time and standpoint, uh, just getting into some of the other uh, British wrestling scene folks that were kind of adjacent to Drew Galloway at the time, because mm-hmm. as he made that tour around the world, it kind of got me in tune with who those folks were because in the United States, I had been watching a lot and evolve and impact and some of the other local Indies. And so that kind of would, when I would see reports either on the torch, the observer, uh, what, where he's at, what he's doing, that would kind of lead me to other places. And also one of the principals in this one, Chris hero had been one of my favorite wrestlers since I saw him in the independent scene. God, 1999, uh, 2000. Wow. Yeah, he's been like around that. a while, was not he? Yeah, because he came out. I remember, This is. Uh, I'm really glad that you asked me to be on the show. Uh, we were at an independent show. Me and some of my best friends in college uh, went to the pro wrestling uh, IWC, uh, Internet Wrestling Cartel, uh, here <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it, it was a lot. And so at the IWC, they had this guy, Quafa the Flying Hawaiian. And he was wrestling against a guy, and it was uh, Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. And I looked at my buddy Justin, who works with me at the Torch now as well. And I was like, it'd be really cool if that was Chris Hero's music. Because the last time we saw him, he had something else. And sure enough, it was him coming out with his Superman shirt and all the fun stuff. If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? Like, he was just awesome. And so, and at that point, if you can believe it, he was thin as a rail. Mm. And so... To see him evolve and turn into like the grizzled, big Tenru style vet for like American Indies as the representative has been a treat because he really, and especially when we get to the main event of the show, he really leans into that role and I love it. I, I, I love it so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, Chris Hero was everywhere around 2016, weren't he? Yeah, he was like, really, I mean, we can get into it when we talk about the main event of the show. But yeah, he was everywhere during 2016. Yeah, because I was going to a load of shows during this year, going to a lot of Red Pro stuff, keeping up with everything New Japan were doing. I think um, outside of being 
sort of like a younger kid watching WCW in 92. This was sort of like one of the peaks of my wrestling fandom, just trying to check everything out and go to all the shows. And I mean, you think back now, how spoiled we were over here in the UK and, you know, and on the American industry, the sort of like matches and things we were getting. So, yeah, it's really interesting to go back and look at these shows. It do not feel like that long ago, but yeah, it seems like a whole other lifetime ago compared to where we are at now, because this was the second year that Red Pro had run global wars in the uk they'd um obviously started using new japan talent on shows i think going back to 2013 i think they brought liger over for the first time and then they slowly started bringing more and more japanese names over i think they had tanahashi was the next big one to bring over and then in 2015 that was a one-night affair and that saw okada take on osprey and then aj sells fend the red pro title against Justin liger so Clearly, that had been a big success for them because they moved on to two nights in 2016. Um, held on November the 10th and 11th, the first night at York Hall. I was at that one live. That had a cracking Chris Hero against Tomohiro Ishii match and then Shibata beating Zack Sabre Jr. for the Red Pro title. And then the second night, which we're reviewing on this show, took place at Walthamstow Assembly Halls, which is a, a grade two listed building. It looks very grand from the outside and, and the inside. Uh, but like most old buildings in the uk and i imagine over there in the states it doesn't have the much in the way of aircon and i can tell from going to that building for the british j cup at the same venue it's a stupidly hot place and uh, i've never seen i've ever seen wrestling at, and apparently it was no different for this show uh, rich have you uh, have you i mean obviously you know gabe always picked sort of like old buildings for the like evolve and stuff like that have you ever uh, seen sort of like wrestling sort of like a really old building that doesn't have aircon or anything and everyone's just sort of like sweating into the seats and stuff because it's definitely like that in this walthamstow assembly hall oh yeah i mean a couple of the spots i've been to in new york uh especially in uh, like the jamaica part of new york where it's a uh, la boom where my buddy uh, who used to live in New York when I would go there, it doubles as a nightclub. And so I'm sure kind of like some of the venues you all have in the United Kingdom, it's you go in and it's this hot wrestling experience. And then as you're leaving, you see folks dressed up like they're about to go clubbing for the evening. <laughs> and it's just like the dichotomy of the two groups as they're passing in the night. And then invariably you have one person who's going in and they're going to do both. And they're going to yep. enjoy some wrestling and then they're going to get have a little dance and enjoy themselves in the evening. And so, yeah, I, I like venues like that. I think uh, the only venue like that I avoided, uh, Sean Radican of the Torch wanted me to come up and see a Beyond Wrestling show by his neck of the woods in New England. And it was at a, it was at one of the uh, casinos. And in hindsight, I was I was so mad because it was American Rana, I think, that year. And it was a really good card, but they the air conditioner broke, and I could see watching the show, like people just like melting into their seats as the heat starts to bear down. And he's texting me, "The air conditioner broke. It's so hot. Oh my god, I want to die." And so yeah, I, I definitely uh, I think that's a part of it. Should be a part of any wrestling fan's experience, just so you can see it. All it isn't always going to be those super air conditioned. Uh, wonderful places that uh, you know some of these bigger promotions use. Oh yeah, definitely. I um, went to. I think I was lucky enough to go to uh, one of the last PWG shows at, um, in California, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was the, you know, hallowed halls of Reseda in California, and it was like a great experience being there, but oh my god, they ram-packed that place, you literally had to climb over people to get to the bathroom or to go to the bar or anything, and then, yeah, the aircon was non-existent in there, so you were, all these people ram-packed, literally so tight, like, um, sort of like a can of sardines, so yeah, it was a great experience being there, but uh, yeah, not one I'd want to repeat in a hurry, I don't think, just to, just to say that I went to it was, uh, was enough for me, but um, I mean, just before we get into the show, I mean, obviously it's tricky looking back at these older shows, especially in British wrestling, you know, with speaking out and the abuse allegations about some performers, some who actually appear on this show. And obviously we won't be ignoring that as we as we go through this card. But um, yeah, like I said, it, it was November the 11th, 2016, Walthamstow Assembly Halls in London. From stuff I've seen online, around 1,200 in the building, which is a, a great number for uh, any time frame. Um I mean, we have a, a real blast from the past from Red Pro and commentary, Ollie, Oliver Bennett, who commentated a lot of Red Pro shows around this time, but was also a legit commentator outside of wrestling. I remember he did some Olympic stuff for the BBC. He was on Eurosport and he was on a variety of things. And I'm assuming that's why he's no longer with Red Pro, as I'm sure it's more lucrative for him to be commentating on real sports. He's on Comstra out and he's joined by Andy Kilden in intervals. Um, well, I'm assuming this is the first time you've heard um, Ollie Benny on commentary here, um, Rich. Uh, what were your thoughts on him? Oh, just correct me if I'm wrong, Martin. How long after this did he continue to do commentary? Oh, um, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think Olympic dates because I know he was still doing bits and bobs of um, of Red Pro while he was doing the Olympics. So um, maybe not much longer. I'm not sure, though. Okay, so in that case, yeah, this was because I I started watching Rev Pro regularly after this because, and mm-hmm. I I, I want to say, um, I would catch the matches sheepishly hand in air through ulterior means. So a lot of times it would be with you know like Russian commentary, <laughs> and so uh, wow, yeah, because I, I, there was a lot of at the time there are a lot of Russian fans that would like stream and then. Um, what? I have uh, no idea this existed. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there is, if there's a set, it's almost like when people go to other sites that exist nowadays and it's like in Chinese or Japanese or something like that. Yeah. There are mm. like American football, some parts of pro wrestling. There are just so many people interested in Russia that, or at least folks that speak Russian. I shouldn't just isolate just to that region. And so since I, I do, or I did better then, that was like an easy way for me to watch and kind of catch up. So yeah, this was, and I really liked him. Andy, I've gotten to meet and know, like not meet, I've gotten to know through uh, doing several interviews with him over the years, uh, particularly Mm -hmm. during uh, speaking out and uh, post. Uh, And so I have been used to him as far as being the ring announcer, being the owner, being the uh, commentator. And especially with some of the bigger matches that were co- to, to come, uh, most notably with folks like Osprey and uh, uh, Zack Sabre Jr., I was used to his style. But yeah, so this was probably my first experience with him as far as uh, announcing. And I thought he did. I thought it was really cool. And again, in that uh, that tradition of pro wrestling, having a commentator that commentates outside of wrestling gives you even more gravitas when they're when they're talking about your sport, so to speak. 
Yeah, definitely. And I also thought you, you also brought a bit of more legitimacy to it, you know, to say he was a real commentator outside of, of wrestling. And um, and he clearly always did his homework because, you know, especially when they were initially bringing the New Japan guys over, he'd cleared on his homework and who the factions were and, and you know, making sure he got the names right and stuff. And so it added a, a lot to it. But um, going on to match one, it's um, a non-title match because it's the Red Pro, who were the Red Pro British Tag Team Champions at the time, Charlie Garrett and Joel Redman, uh, taking on Bushi and the Never Open Weight Champion, Evil. And it's really funny to me seeing Joel Redman and Charlie Garrett here coming in as the uh, as the tag champs. I remember they were sort of going for the traditional British babyface team, two good-looking lads, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies, you know, at I remember it didn't last long for them as the crowd soon turned on them, you know, for being the two goody-goody guys. Um, obviously, Joel Redman's uh, more well-known for his original, for being in the original NXT as Oliver Gray and pops up now and again in posters for family shows. I think he also had a brief turn in All Japan a couple of years ago and always seemed to have a lot going on for him looks-wise, but never really connected with the crowds, uh, you know, certainly at the cool Indies at the time, quote unquote. And um, I mean, Charlie Garrett couldn't be any further from his character here now. I mean, he was brilliant in OTT team with Zach Gibson and drew some some absolute nuclear heat from the Irish fans for going on about how great he was to be British. And and then nowadays he's <laughs> in progress and a red pro was Charlie Sterling and always impressive. I mean, what were your initial thoughts on uh, on this sort of like ultra sort of like babyface team here, Rich? I liked it. I, I thought that um, Roberts did a really good job early because as a baby face, he allowed LIJ to just kind of me- just mess him up. He was just getting beaten, pillar to pose, really couldn't get a, a breath. They just were on top of him, on top of him. And I, I just thought from a, for an opening match, they, they played a good role as opening match tag team guy face group. And then as tag champions, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because they were so relatively new as a tag team, even though they were tag team champions, it seemed mm-hmm. like it didn't. Like nowadays, it would be a big offense if your tag team champions were in a non-title opening card match and lost. Yeah. No, yeah, I think they had only just won the belts, yeah, and, they, and they weren't certainly around for a very long time. But um, it's, it's interesting seeing uh, Watanabe had only just become the evil character in sort of like, I think, less than a year before this show. And, you know, and it's known by the cheers here, the fans who've not gotten on the fans' nerves yet quite had he, had he done now. But yeah, um, yeah, like you say, there's a lot of sort of like with involving the ref, you know, Bushi running, you know, into the trouble with the two bigger guys because he's the smaller guy, you know, um, LIJ continuing to cheat, you know, evil wrapping a chair around Redman's head, then probably constantly <laughs> coming in, doing double teams, you know, they cut off the hot tag several times before Garrett Goy and then did some super impressive moves from uh, Charlie Garrett, you know, a standing suit in star and then loads of stuff to the to the outside. And then it then it when it looked like when LIJ were on the verge of a loss, Bushi hit a low blow and you know obviously the mist came out, which is well known for resulting in a DQ. And I think that was something that was um, you know, I don't think fans had grown tired of it uh, at this point, but obviously, you know, with the politics, you know, booking new Japan guys in Red Pro, I think we did see a lot of sort of like, you know, screwy finishes, but I don't think people had, had quite got tired of it yet. But um, a decent opener, did you think? Uh, certainly, you know, the crowd were really into it, weren't they? Yeah, I think, and uh, I, I did like extra homework for this, uh, just because I wanted to make sure I was prepared. I know the night before, 
um, the Bushi Osprey match kind of had a lot of shenanigans in it as well. Mm. And so it was interesting that in this opening match, the ref's like, nope, nope, not having it right here. We're, we're done here as opposed to that night before. So, uh, yeah, I think for an open match and politically, no one knew who you had to, you know, these guys look like they came from underneath. And right when they had a chance to come back, they get the mist. So it's a win, but it's not necessarily a loss for LIJ. And so everybody gets out as happy as you can. Yeah, exactly. And then um, next up, we have Drew Galloway coming out, who was originally supposed to be on the show taking on Honma. And uh, I mean, this is when he was all over the Indies, weren't he? Evolving the USA, headlining ICW shows against Grado, and then appearances in the likes of Red Pro and What Culture. And obviously, he had um, quite a lengthy running impact. He cut a promo about his injury and how he was supposed to be on the show tonight. And I really wanted to go to Japan and wrestle. And he felt like this was his opportunity and he couldn't do it. And I think Drew caught a lot of these promos, didn't he, at uh, indie shows about how great the indies were in, you know, in every promotion that he was at the time, didn't he? Uh, I feel he, he it was like the standard Drew Galloway promo that he, he cut at most of the indies that he appeared at. Yeah, it was. And Drew does such a great job in this role. Yeah. Which, it, it, this is the template. For those of you who haven't seen Drew back when he was in the indies and he did this, he was the 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 kind of a, uh, a champion of champions before Omega did it. Uh, look at this run. I swear, if whatever promotion you were in, you felt like he only meant it for your promotion and all those other promotions were just side pieces that he only went to because he had to. And it, it just, <laughs> he came here and he's spitting fire. And he's, just, I, I want, I want this Drew Galloway at some point to be the guy they show in WWE because I feel like if you did a promo like this in WWE at times, Vince might look at you and say, you you're believing your own stuff a little too much, but that's what you need to do when you're going to these promotions. Fans aren't going to see you as an import. If you come in and regardless, you know, I think uh, one of the great things I enjoyed about toward the end uh, uh, of some of these uh, wrestlers runs where they become the very import that, you know, they rail against when they're in the UK uh, a guy like Galloway never felt like that when he was doing this tour because He's always just on it. He's like, I love the UK scene. I love the, you took this away from the people. And now you have, you know, this other match against Hanma, which honestly, uh, Martin, just to talk about how good he is, he's making us feel bad about seeing a match with him and Hanma. Like, that's what we feel like we've been cheated of. <laughs> and that's amazing to me. Yeah, I remember um, being at the, um, it was either the Evolve show or the Evolve the Progress show. Uh wrestlemania in 2017 and drew came on and, and did a, a, a similar promo to that and then about two hours later he was um pictured at the nxt takeover event you know they did the big so like oh look drew galloway's back in wwe and i was like oh what's that promo he got about how great the indies are about an hour ago <laughs> oh so, yeah, yeah i was there for that one too that was that i enjoyed the heck out of that especially when you think about you know, the storyline he had with Johnny Gargano before Johnny left, where he's like, I'm trying to save you. And he's like, just <laughs> absolutely murdering this guy. And I usually don't do my Drew McIntyre or Galloway impersonation, but you got it out of me. But it was, I loved that entire run because he is this huge hulking monster. And Johnny Gargano is not. Mm -hmm. And he made you believe every match, every promo that he's beating the crap out of this guy because he cares about him so much that he doesn't want him to get beat down in NXT. 
How do you feel um, Drew Galloway is going to be viewed in sort of like a few years' time? How do you think his legacy is going to be viewed? Obviously, it didn't go so well for him the first time around in WWE, and he seems to have been, you know, a bit hit and miss this time around in WWE. I think in WWE, it's going to be overall a positive, probably like a, if we're going on like A to F or something, it'd be a B, B plus, where I thought it could have been an A after seeing him in that second iteration of himself. He even mm. mentioned in an interview he did with Wade that he kind of grew into like his man body because remember he was again, more of an, uh, a smaller guy when he came out, he was like very cut, very lean. By the time he made it in the Indies, he looked like a roaring lion out there. Like he, yeah. it was just a, a different person altogether. And I think um, for him coming to WWE and I think uh, we've mentioned it. I mentioned on the tour several times over the last few years, the worst thing that happened to him was he got to be the guy that held the ball during the pandemic because it cheated him out of getting the crowd reaction and building that rapport such that he could be a little higher than he is right now. And I think that's a, that's a shame, honestly. Yeah. And like, and now obviously Romans come, come good straight after the pandemic, haven't he? So yeah, there's a, there's only room for sort of like one sort of like big major star in there. And, you know, and it's definitely Roman Reigns at the minute, but um. Josh Bottoms out here, he's going to be replacing Galloway to take on Homer. And obviously Bottoms, another one who had allegations against him during speaking out. But even prior to that, he had the incident with the referee he took issue with and allegedly beat the ref up for real on a Red Pro show in 2019. I mean, he was in and out of Red Pros. They clearly wanted him to one of their guys, but he was in and out because of various incidents and he could never seem to get out of his own way. And then obviously, you know, seen again following, he was never seen again following speaking out. And, um, here he faces Honma, who hasn't really been seen in New Japan much since uh, 2020. I mean, this was a typical Honma match from this period, weren't it? You know, um, you know, as expected, Honma misses the Kokeshi early. You know, Bottom takes over and makes sure to taunt and draw heat, drawing all of it. Honma finally connects on the Kokeshi at his third attempt and, you know, got a two on that. And then Honma went up, misses the big top rope Kokeshi, which led to, you know, his downfall. He did a slap on a submission and fire up, but bottom uses a, a low blow and bust a pile driver to win. And, you know, um, decent match. But, um, you know, this is sort of like a formula of um, Honma matches um, around this time period, I feel. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was by the numbers. And again, when you have the politics, like you mentioned before, of shows like this, you're going to need one person to kind of get, you know, he's, he's someone that... Uh, is uh, uh, is easy to kind of you can let it go as if he loses and so i i don't think people you know it, it's not something where you go Ugh. um i'm sorry i'm also th- i have it on in the background i'm seeing the vomit again and that was that was a lot that was a lot um Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention. Bottom walks out and just vomits everywhere. Clearly, sort of like not prepared for this match at all. Yeah, like he did not look like he was in the shape to wrestle after this. And it's interesting because now I'm watching this with the uh, uh, ability to see it from hindsight instead of like in the moment. Watching Bottom basically do the uh, Matt Riddle deal in terms of saying bro and like flexing and doing all this dumb stuff. It was really like, wow. I was like, okay, so I guess this is his deal. And then you mentioned, you know, as I Google them and see this, the other stuff pop up and I'm like, ah, crap. All right. Um, and so, yeah, I thought this was a safe match for them. 
get them in, get them out. And it isn't a person that they have to worry about politically complaints at the end of the day. That's really the biggest thing for me. Whenever like Hanma can win, he can lose, he can, like, it doesn't really matter. It's like, if you get a, um, if, if you get a, a, a Yoshihashi in, it's like, okay, New Japan's Yoshihashi. We can do what we want. They're not going to be mad if we beat them. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be a couple of New Japan guys that, you know, they've, they've got to be in certainly Honor and like you say, Yoshihashi uh, certainly fit that category. But um, on to the next match and it was Yuji Nagata taking on Trent Seven and I feel like the crowd really sort of like warmed up here. They were fairly loud for the first couple of matches but for this third one, you know, Nagata got a, a hero's ovation coming out and obviously the crowd were really into Trent Seven, especially with that uh, White Stripes Seven Nation Army everyone always got behind that around this time period and uh, Nagata had some fun, you know with the fans early on and then playing around with Trent's moustache they traded some chops which Nagata seemingly got the better of which of course is taking on Trent here uh, Seven even did his uh, traditional chop in the ring post, which always looks wince inducing when they got a ducks and um, Trent hits the ring post with you know the full force of his arm. Nagata nailed a super exploder and then one with his uh, trademark armbar. And um, I mean, nothing sort of like this is not going to bother the uh, star scale, but um, I thought this was a lot of fun between these guys. They really knew what the crowd wanted. They didn't want sort of like a work rate match. They just wanted to watch these two sort of messing around. And that's exactly what they gave the crowd here. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love this match. I am a, uh, an avowed Yuji Nagata. Mark, I guess I, lo- I love me some Yuji. And so the, when the fan tells him to settle down a bit in the crowd, <laughs> and then he kicks Trent in the face and he's like, okay, I was like, this is great. This is so fun. And and I, I thought that when you talk about like with the ring of honor version of these sorts of uh, interpromotional wars, this is the rev pro version and it's best iteration where you have someone who in Nagata, you know, he's always going to be a guy kind of like Suzuki nowadays where you can put him in, he's going to put in a good shift. You don't have to worry about him ever going half speed and he's going to give you the best he's got while also you having fun with a wrestler that maybe on your end in Trent Seven is going to just be happy to be in that match but still being an entertainer. Like the kiss on his hand before he delivers it is just, ooh. Mm. It, 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 it is just the, uh, the calm before the storm. Um, but Nagata laughing at him, that was great. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen that before. Usually people just react and they keep moving within the match. Nagata just feels like this idiot really did that. And then it just <laughs> laughed it off. It's just, oh, that, that made it so much fun for me. And then, like you said, the super exploder and armbar finish, very simple, but at the same time, very effective because you don't need Nagata doing anything crazy. You don't need Trent doing anything crazier. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think, like, um, Trent was the perfect opponent for him, you know, the sort of, like, quote-unquote, New Japan dad coming out here, you know, just to get, uh, you know, just so the crowd can see him, basically. And, and Trent's the perfect opponent for him. I thought they worked really well together. And, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun here. Um, after the match, Dave Mastiff shows up and uh, attacks Trent. I, mean, I feel like... Dave Mastiff, um, a couple of years before this, would have been the guy that um, new uh, that Red Pro would have put up against a lot of the New Japan guys, and he certainly got some big matches. I think like he had the match against uh, Carl Anderson when he came over and the like. And I think around this time period, he'd not been in the company um, at the time, and then obviously he then went on to do World of Sport, and then um, and then 
NXT UK. So, yeah, I think this was just a brief comeback he had in Red Pro here. Um, and next up, we've got um, Will Ospreay, who was the Cruiserweight champion at the time, taking on Justin Liger. Oh, we thought it was going to be Will Ospreay. And Ospreay's theme plays. He comes out. Liger's theme plays back up. Everyone's confused. And then out comes Ospreay just as the... Uh, what is it? The control terrorism unit of uh, of Liger, the Dark Liger. So we've got like sort of a mirror match, a mirror match coming out here. You know, basically Osprey's, you know, like the black version of Liger in his in his darker gear. You know, and they really played into that. They did a lot of mirror image spots. You know, Osprey got to you know portray more of a heel here since he was a face at the time, since he was playing sort of like the, the darker Liger. And Liger continued the comedy stuff, even sort of like doing the old PWG thumb up the um, ass spot, you know. Some of the fans didn't really get it at first, but I think, you know, once they got the referee involved, they really got behind it. And even on commentary saying, oh, Osprey's messed up because, you know, obviously Liger's been working on, you know, his butt cheeks. So he's got he's got strong butt cheeks. And then... Um, you know, it picked up towards the end. Liger got two on a Liger bomb before Osprey at the Os cutter. But, um, and then he brought out the shooting star press, which is obviously, you know, a move that Liger invented. And, you know, pretty, a pretty, another pretty good comedy match, which, um, you know, the crowd really got into and, you know, with some serious points towards the end. And, you know, and it was just something different. It's funny that um, Andy Q says on commentary, oh, this is something you'll remember for the rest of your wrestling lives. And um, I remember it happening at the time, but I completely forgotten about it until uh, we rewatched this match. But yeah, another, another fun match here, I thought, Rich. Yeah, I agree. And I thought that this is an example of a match where uh, Osprey's looking at the future version of himself and how Osprey at 50 or 51, if he's still wrestling, that's the type of match you want to have sometimes if you're going abroad. Like, let's just do some hits. Let's have some fun. I don't have to do triple flips or fans bring the weapons matches or anything crazy. And folks are still going to love me. The cheeky Nando's into the bum spot was funny. Uh, and then uh, I really like the fact that Liger still at age 50, 51, 52. I can't remember what he is at the time. Hit the Super Rana. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, he was still, you know, even though he, he changed up his style and things like that, you know, he was still, um, he was still, you know, busting out um, some of the high flying moves from now and again, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he he wanted to kind of show, you know, you know, people do that that chant uh, kind of a lot now that you still got it, but mm. he wanted to kind of show he he still had it, you know, there wasn't just a, I'm doing this because I can't do it. I was like, no, I'm doing it because these matches are a little safer from my 50 year old body. But I can yeah. still show you the engine still running underneath. Exactly. And you know, Osprey must have been buzzing around this time because he comes out later, doesn't he? And he looks like, you know, sort of like a 12 year old kid compared to, you know, how much sort of like muscle mass he's put on these days. I mean, yeah, talk about some yeah. like skinny indie guy. Yeah, it certainly was like, well, I was like, wow, Osprey used to look like that. Yeah, it was, uh, but yeah, really fun match. And yeah, Osprey must have been really digging that. But, um, on to the next match, and it's uh, a certain Pete Dunne against Tomohiro Ishii, and Ishii's like a regular in the UK around this time. He's on pretty much most of the Red, shows, Red Pro shows back then. He always come over, you know, proper like a workhorse and go on against anybody that he was uh, faced off against. And uh, Pete Dunne around this time period seemingly got the world at his feet because um, he's, he's having these New Japan trials, essentially, with these Red Pro matches. And then they even mentioned on commentary that he's just had a trial with WWE. And then, obviously, this all leads to a uh, butch, doesn't it? You know, obviously, after the whole NXT UK thing and everything. Um, 
How do you feel Pete Dunne's been faring uh, since he got called up to the main roster? I mean, for me personally, I feel like he's just, I think um, Andy Ogden described him on a British wrestling experience as a scrappy-doo out of Scooby-Doo, and that certainly seems to be uh, the character that he's portraying on, uh, on main roster WWE. Yeah, I'd agree with him. I think the scrappy-doo, uh, any of the, the foghorn leghorn little chicken that would come up, like, put him up, put him up, uh, yeah. anything like that. And it's, <laughs> it's wild to me that this is a guy, I, I, I love Pete Dunne as a wrestler. Uh, you know, Pita and all those little chants that he had going for him. Mm. He's the indicator of, hey, sometimes the check is what you want and more power to him. I, I, I think if, you know, this is a sliding doors moment, if if you will, because if he did perhaps go to New Japan and kind of build through there, what, what version of Pete Dunne do you think we would have seen, Mark? Oh, well, I don't, I don't know. It's certainly, as far as in-ring goes, I'd much rather have seen him, you know, test the water in New Japan and, you know, maybe stay on the British wrestling scene. But yeah, like you say, for his wallet, I think um, he probably made the right decision. Um, but yeah, it would have been interesting to see where we would have gone if we had the likes of sort of like Tyler Bate and, you know, Pete Dunne maybe heading over the other side of the world rather than to the US. But yeah, I suppose, like you said, it's sliding doors and what if and maybe. But as far as the match goes, um, Obviously, like a lot of EC matches, you know, we start off with, um, you know, can this um, can this guy impress EC? You know, Ishii's laying the strikes in, begging Pete to to do it. Ishii's taking everything that Dunn's giving to him. You know, Dunn seems to settle down a bit. You know, they they have pretty good chemistry. I feel because I'm, I'm assuming this is the only time they faced off against each other. You know, um, Ishii's all in his face. I feel a very solid match. You know, Pete's even doing, you know. The, the biting gimmick that he used to do on the back of Ishii's skull here. Ishii's no selling it, you know, well, you know, sort of selling subtly. And I just feel like, you know, as much as Ishii does no sell a lot of Pete Dunne's offense, you know, it's it's that sort of like Pete's trying to sort of grind him down here, you know, and, and Ishii's slowly getting ground down by Pete. And yeah, I saw a, a really good match and um, just um, quite surprised here that... Um, Pete Dunn had this opportunity to take all these New Japan guys on, and, and he did take the uh, the NXT UK contract. Like I noted earlier, you know, great for his wallet, but just what could have been in terms of like Pete Dunn again in New Japan? I, I feel definitely watching these matches against the likes of Ishii. Yeah, and Ishii, as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about uh, uh, the the fact that he's doing so well in this current tour when he comes to the United States, I mean, he's been doing, like you said, anytime I see him in ref pro, he was doing that already. So I think this was just another example of it. I think, um, Pete Dunn, I think a lot of times doesn't get the credit he deserves with a lot of the way he works. Uh, and Ishii is the perfect person to wrestle with him because when he starts biting the fingers and just completely like, uh, Os- you know, he's trying to get crazy with the stuff and Osprey comes out and then Ishii goes like, the, it, it was a nice little sequence. And it's one that because we've seen so much on the card, it wasn't repeated and it makes it easier. And, and so, uh, you know, showing the fact that uh, Osprey again, uh, is the happy go lucky at the time. I want to say he was in chaos, right? Yeah, he was, like yeah that's why he comes out and helps him at the end, didn't it? Because uh, Pete Dunn low blows him, so Osprey comes out to uh, the distraction and then Ishii picks up the win. 
Yeah. And so that's, you know, the, the, the trial of Pete Dunn, I think he, he probably barely passed, but the shenanigans may have led to Ishii do, giving him a stern head shake and saying, not today. Yeah. I remember he got heavily involved in sort of like um, when they did the whole Vader v. Osprey match as well. And um, Pete Dunn had even had some gear made like Vader times, you know, Vader gear from, uh, from, <laughs> from, WWE and yeah, and they seem to be doing this whole thing where it was going to be they were kind of teasing it next time if Vader had come over again, it was going to be uh, Ricochet and Osprey against Vader and Pete Dunn. Yeah, and they had the whole that going on, but obviously Vader never came over again, and then um, Dunn obviously went off to um, went off to WWE. But yeah, just like you noted earlier, those sliding doors effects and what could have happened. So obviously Vader was you know heavily critical of the Osprey and Ricochet match, so that was. Red Pro was seeing sort of like pound signs with booking that match with Ricochet involved as well. But um, on, to the, on to the next match, and we've got um, leaders of the new school, Zach Sabre Jr. and Marty Skrull against um, LIJ of Nyo and Snada. And uh, LIJ are barely a year old at this point, and so absolutely super over when they come to the UK. And it's funny, you know, people groan about it now, but no one was going in. Naito didn't even take his T-shirt off in this match, which shows <laughs> as fun as a match as it is, you know, Naito's obviously not taking this uh, too seriously. And obviously, you know, Marty now thankfully out of the British wrestling scene, obviously due to those horrendous allegations during speaking out. Um, him and Zach uh, reuniting as a leader's tag team. Um, Zach's just lost the title the night before to uh, Shibata. And... Um, yeah, and obviously around this time as well, um, Sabre Jr. is not quite the heel that we know these days. And, you know, he was a, sort of like the babyface champion. He'd already started to elicit some boos from uh, the Red Pro crowd, and especially the Jeff Cobb match he'd had um, a couple of months before, and people were really heavily booing him there. So, yeah, he'd not gone full heel yet, and he was getting quite a negative response from the crowd. Um, I mean, just to break down the match a bit, um, you know, Sonata getting worked over with quick tags and arm work until uh, Naito tripped up Sabre, you know, and the tide turns and, you know, LIJ, you know, takes some brawling to the outside. Sabre got beat up for a bit, made the tag to skill. Skill actually ran a baby face fire style hot tag. You know, this was the most, you know, face he'd, he'd worked around this time because obviously he was working the villain character. Naito's cocky as always, taunting skill. Skull grabbed his hand and, you know, they did the um, the traditional Skull finger snap that he did a lot around this time period. Um, the leaders then hit a brain buster penalty kick combo that nearly won it, but Naito kicks out. Leaders did a great sort of like stereo submission spot with an armbar and chicken wing, but even that wasn't enough. And then it comes down to Naito and Sabre, who, who do a great back and forth and Sabre desperately didn't want to lose, but, you know, fell to the destino. So two losses for uh, Sabre two nights in a row. Um, I mean, obviously, like I noted at the start, Rich, it's really hard to watch these matches considering who's involved. But um, just to take the match at face value, you know, it was, um, it was a fun match between the four of them. Yeah, and like you said, it's tough, especially with the post-match games, which we'll get into, to kind of see how... Uh, how how much he was ingrained and how much some folks in these uh, allegations are ingrained in the scene. And so, yeah, this match was solid. Leaders of the New School was a group I saw. Uh, Rev Pro mainly, and then every now and again, I think they had a match or two in progress. You could correct me if I'm wrong there. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, I just, 
I've still, I've always been a fan of Osprey. I've always been a fan of, uh, at the time I was always a fan of uh, Marty. Um, And Zach was someone that kind of grew on me. And Mm. it's funny, like in that benefit of hindsight, like now watching Zach and watching his work and then even seeing the way him and uh, Naito have maintained that rivalry. It's, it's quite interesting to see early on when he's just uh, not even an important foreigner. He's just a guy. And now they've evolved into such a a pretty strong rivalry, I'd say, in New Japan. And so here in Repro, watching the leaders and watching them do what they do, it was a nice little uh, reintroduction into them as a tag team, despite, like you said, the ickiness surrounding the partner there. Yeah, I mean, and certainly this must have been one of the first times sort of like Naito and Sabre had tangled at this point. And like you say, you know, they've certainly had some uh, much better matches. Yeah, and it is interesting, obviously, we used to, you know, and we were at the time seeing, you know, Sabre Jr. pulling out these ridiculous moves and, you know, turning his uh, opponents in sp- into spaghetti, essentially. But yeah, just it, just the evolution of that and some of the ridiculous stuff he does these days. And, you know, and he was especially doing it back then. But um. Shall we get on to the main event? I mean, this is the main reason I wanted to talk about the show. Certainly one of the best matches to take place on British soil. And I'm so annoyed that I went to the first night and didn't go to the second night for this match because I've watched it a few times since then. Um, I think I must have some kind of like work commitment on the Monday. So I had to head home from London on the Sunday. But um, of course, it's um, the newly crowned at the time uh, Red Pro British Heavyweight Champion, Katsori Sabata, taking on Chris Hero. And uh, the match only just over 13 minutes long, but oh my God, they fit so much into these 13 minutes. Um, I mean, this was a dream match at the time, especially with Hero having so many bangers on the indies and then Shibata appearing in the UK quite often. Um, they work the mat early, but then quickly go to striking, which is what people want to see. In it. I mean, Hero tries to bully Shibata, but then, you know, Shibata, you know, fires up. Slaps the taste out of Hero's mouth. Hero's reaction to the slap from Shibata is perfect. Shibata, you know, shrugs off some of Hero's most vicious strikes and even sort of like demands more. I just I get so fired up seeing Shibata get fired up, sort of like jumping out of my sofa just as it's happening. And then Hero sort of uses Shibata's momentum against him at one point, causing Shibata to run into a Chris Hero knee. Follows it up with a pile driver for two, and then Shibata turns the kick into a sleeper hold. He constantly trying to get the sleeper hold to sort of like uh, break down the giant because there's a bit of a size differential between them. Hero struggles and has to survive a German before breaking free. Hits an elbow and another pile driver. Shabbat kicks out of that, gets the sleeper back on. Where's Hero down enough to win with the penalty kick? I mean, I absolutely love this, Rich. I mean, I've watched it about four or five times now in the ensuing years, but um, oh my God, Shibata and Hero, just um, a match made in heaven for me. Oh, the way I screamed when uh, Shibata hit him with the penalty kick and then Hero hitting him in the chest with that knee. Oh my God. The God-style pile driver. Uh, the counter for the ripcord into the sleeper. I mean, and then the sleeper, the the way I'm walking around my basement as we talk, just because now I'm getting fired up with going through it again. The way Hero <laughs> was like staggering, and he said he's so much bigger than Shibata, he could have just instantly reached out and grabbed the rope. But he took enough time to kind of steady himself and start to slowly, as again, if we were on video, you'd see, like slowly sink into himself and almost sell that he was going to go down like he would for the finish. But then at the last minute, he raises up and grabs that rope with his left hand. And that's just 
oh, he's such a ring general. And it, it, I I thought this was one of my favorite hero matches. Like hero, just for all I mentioned before the background, but at, once he became burly, surly veteran hero, and they tried to adapt it a little bit for NXT in the last days of him being there, but it wasn't quite as good as it was when it was on the indies and it was natural. But this is, oh, this is vintage hero. I loved it. I absolutely love this match. Shibata at this point is at the height of his power. This is before, obviously, the, the career-ending injury or what we thought at the time, career-ending injury. And I, I can't recommend this match enough. You know, I, I have seen some people, you know, I'm, I'm, I try not to be at the torch. We kind of have to do stars. Or, you know, I try to go and grapple if, if when I can and kind of look at where people have it. But this is like wherever you have the highest form of a match, that's where it's at for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, and also as well, with Shibata winning the title as well, I think that was the first time the Red Pro title had been featured on New Japan as well. So I think he he must have come out of the Wrestle Kingdom 11 the year after and had the Red Pro title with him. So yeah, this was the first time that the Red Pro title had been on New Japan, I think. Um, but yeah, like you said about Hero, I mean, he was the man in 2016. It kind of felt like he'd done, he was like, right, this is the tour. I'm going to go back to NXT as, you know, Cassio Sono. Have some decent stuff in and there, but not do a great deal because I've given you the, you know, the work prior to going back to NXT. Get a bit of a payday and then sort of like call it a day. Because obviously he's no longer with NXT. He's sort of like a free agent. And, he, you know, we've heard he's been backstage at Ring of Honor shows and things like that. Um, do you think sort of like Heroes done in Ring or do you think um, anything called Tempting Back? So it's been a while at this point, hasn't it? I think it has been, and I think if he was going to come back, I would hope he would do it for one more uh, Kings of Wrestling run, mm. or maybe a Kings of Wrestling heroes eventually die, kind of like feud, where not not for those of you who follow, not like a a WWE or a, a, a Fire Pro where he's wrestling himself, but like who's whose alliance is he going to stay with? Would he stay with Claudio? Would he go with? Uh, I guess uh, Malachi, because I enjoyed both tag teams. Obviously, Kings of Wrestling was so good in Ring of Honor, but Tony Khan owning Ring of Honor as well as AEW right now. If they were going to have him come back, it, this would be the time. I would have him as my. If, if it isn't someone like Gresham, Chris Shiro all day is is my go to champion at the top of the mountain that people have to try to knock off. Yeah, you've got to imagine that Tony Khan's made overtures to him, so especially for sort of like the Ring of Honor stuff, maybe not the AEW stuff, but yeah, you've got to imagine that Tony Khan's made. I mean, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's been a few years since this, aren't it? Six years, so if it knows if he's the same guy in Ring, but I'd certainly love to see him do sort of like one final tour, you know, the UK or, or the US or whatever, and it'd certainly be fantastic. And obviously, like you said, with Shibata coming back and everything, um, be interesting to see how that goes. But um, I mean, yeah, he had a Chris Hero had sort of like a great match with Ishii the night before this, got rave reviews for that. Um, you know, the progress matches against Mark Andrews, the real matches in Evolve and stuff. So, yeah, he was uh, definitely the top of this game. And I've just checked Grapple as well, and this match is averaging at a 4.41. So, obviously, a lot of people in agreement with us that it is, uh, you know, one of the better matches of this time period. Um, just uh, final thoughts on this show, Rich, because, I mean, I thought it had pretty much everything, didn't it? You know, it you know, might have started slow in the night, but, you know, we got, um, you know, comedy and then some great Matt wrestling with Zack Sabre Jr. And then, you know, dream combination of Shibata and Hero and just uh, everything you'd want from a variety show of a wrestling card, I feel. Yeah, 
And this was the perfect version of, like you, you just said, a variety wrestling card. This isn't a super show where every match has to be a banger. Every match has to be this person, this person. Oh, my God, I've never seen it before. Rev Pro did and continues to do a good job of integrating their domestic talent with the imports and making everything matter, but not making it feel as if the imports match matters more than anyone else's. Because mm. I think while you had that top of the card match between Shibata and Hero, as Shibata, as you mentioned, as Shibata had that title, he tried to be as much as he could a champion representing Rev Pro instead of someone, as we've seen time and time again, winning a title from another promotion and treating it like, oh, I have this thing too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I certainly feel like, um, you know, maybe later on it became sort of like Rev Pro, when they were able to get the New Japan guys over, they were sort of like, Mm, it, it was kind of like, uh, well, perhaps um, they're having to be too reliant on what's happening in New Japan rather than what's going on in their own promotion. But I certainly feel around this right. time period, they weren't, they weren't. It, it didn't seem as obvious then. You know, it was more, it was more like give and take. Whereas in the sort of like sort of 2018, 2019, it certainly seemed like um, a lot of New Japan was dictating what was going to be happening on Red Pro show. So we'll be interesting to see. Once New Japan guys do start coming back to the UK, whether we're going to have that dynamic again or what. So, um, I mean, Sabre Jr. has not wrestled in the UK since sort of like 2000 and, uh, 2020. So it'll be interesting to see when he comes back. Um, in terms of um, Shibata, I mean, obviously, you know, we're not going to be getting matches to this caliber now. In terms of his legacy... In wrestling, how do you feel he falls there? Because obviously he never sort of like, you know, he left New Japan and, you know, Tanahashi was certainly very critical of him. And then he came back and it seemed like he was going to go all the way to the top and then obviously he had this horrible, horrible injury. In terms of his legacy, do you feel like um, he'll be up there with some of the New Japan greats? I think he will be, but I think he'll have a special wing, um, mainly because of the injury. But because of the mm. fact now he steps so boldly into being one of their trainers uh, for the dojo. Uh, and so I think his generation, uh, he, he's going to always have that asterisk the way uh, Tana kind of threw it in his face. But I think and in many ways, he has an another asterisk now where he has been so instrumental in building the lifeblood of New Japan's future. And I, I think that has to have a say as much as his tremendous in-ring work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, sort of like you know, how many matches we do get out of him. But I think you made a good point there. Yeah, his legacy now might be based more upon you know the training work he's been doing at the LA dojo and the guys that come out of that because there certainly seems to be a, a lot of promising guys coming out of that dojo, don't they? Yeah, I mean, my God, they they just continually uh, step it up and bring uh, quality. But I, I the, the question for me is going to be. You know, especially as we see, just like we mentioned, you know, we have had some mental health issues discussed by their trainees and the support or lack thereof at times they may have felt mm. the pressure they may have felt. And that's something that also bears watching. You know, it can't just be Wrestle Factory, Wrestle Factory, because if we're going to judge some of the other promotions by the uh, off field, so to speak, um, ramifications of working for them, we, we got to do the same with the uh, with, with with the dojo. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, any final thoughts, uh, Rich, on this Global War show before we uh, before we head out of here? No, I think if anyone hasn't seen it like I have, please take a chance to watch it. It was great. It was definitely worth my time. It was two and a half hours. Felt like it was 15 minutes. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, time flies by when you're watching the show. Uh, certainly, uh, one to go back and watch, especially that main event. Um, so Rich, uh, obviously mentioned at the top of the show, you're in progressing torch. Uh, what shows have you had coming out recently, and what have you got coming up soon? Sure. So I have uh, the deep dive, which is uh, I guess a monthly or bi-weekly show I do with Will Cooling on the torch, uh, and then. Uh, I also do everything with Rich and Wade, which is our VIP of the Pre-W Torch uh, exclusive show. I'll be doing that at some point, most likely tomorrow uh, with Wade. And then after that, uh, every week I do the East Coast Cast VIP with Travis Bryant, where we talk about wrestling, politics, comic books, television. It kind of is a board that's about two, two and a half hours. So feel free to check those out. If you ever want to find anything, you can go on Twitter at Rich underscore fan, F-A-N-N, or you can go on a... Uh, Apple or wherever you get your podcast and search PW Torch, and I'm probably there somewhere. Excellent. Yeah, always good stuff from you, Rich. Always uh, quality shows coming out of the Pro Wrestling Torch from you. And as for me, um, obviously, um, it's coming counting down to the final few months, uh, me being on post. And then, uh, yeah, it will be the final uh, Bushby and Thompson next month. So me and Andrew have got a lot of stuff in the pipeline uh, for that show, some special guests and, you know, some uh, different stuff from the normal stuff that we've been using. And then, obviously, quick plug, me and Benno will be going to do in a 24-hour marathon stream on the 16th of July to raise money for the Children's Art Surgery Fund here in the UK. Uh, last time we raised over uh, £1,400 uh, streaming for 12 hours, so hopefully the idea is double the time, double the money. But uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. We've got Tons of great guests lined up for that one and we'll be revealing more soon. And um, obviously, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. There's been some great shows as normal, but especially this week, there was a great Postmarks episode seven um, with uh, Dave and uh, Bruce chatting to Karen Peterson, uh, giving a, a great run through of uh, you know, how she got into wrestling and living in Japan and stuff. Absolutely fantastic one. Definitely worth checking out. And then also, I think, drop today uh john pollock who obviously everyone will remember he did that um fantastic sort of like audio documentary about owen hart's final days and then obviously with the anniversary being today he did um a commentary about how he all put together and, and stuff it's definitely worth checking out and uh yeah thanks for everyone for listening and uh we'll catch you next time